Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, it's G. Before we start this podcast, I want to warn you that this episode contains some very difficult themes, including discussion about depression, postpartum psychosis and suicidal thoughts. If you feel uncomfortable hearing about any of those subjects, please press stop now and listen to another episode. Remember, if you need to speak to someone, the Samaritans offer support 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Visit samaritans.org for more information. Welcome to another episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest is an author and her next book, What Have I Done, is published in May. Uh, it follows her experience of going into hospital um, four weeks after giving birth with postpartum psychosis. Uh, to me, I think it's going to be the most important book of 2020. Today's guest is Laura Dockrell. Thank you. Hello. Hi, how are Hi, you? Hi, I'm really good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. I've literally just finished reading What Have I Done? Um, I mean, I sent you a, a text afterwards and then I had to post about it online. It affected me and hit me in a way that no book has before it broke me com completely and then it weirdly healed me in some way and not just reading your your story but kind of pairing it with my own and what I've been over the, uh, through over the last five years as a mum and just kind of almost making me forgive myself in a way and it, I think that is what got me so much the honesty the rawness I just think it's going to be such a huge book and I can't thank you enough for writing it. I can't thank you enough, first of all, for those posts because I write for my job and when you do finish something, you do kind of send these these books out to people, successful people that you hope are going to enjoy it or connect with it and share it, of course. And usually they kind of give you a nice, if you're lucky, packaged kind of quote. And your, oh, one word. <laughs> one word. Um, but your response was so um, immediate and emotional and connected with me I really did feel like you were a mum meeting me at the other end and 
that is exactly what I'm trying to do with this book. And so thank you too, because your reaction for me was like, oh God, she gets it. And that's all it is, is people getting it. Because when you are going through not just motherhood, but a mental illness or maybe any illness or any trauma, loneliness is always a thing that really gets you. And so you kind of, we'd never met before, but mm. your kind of hand in the darkness for that. That's what I really hope the book to be and you to connect with others for. And you, you gave me that. So thank you as well. And the Christmas tree, of course, in the background, which made me cry. I was like, is that a Christmas tree? <laughs> So I got a tree the next day. Did you? Yeah, I'm definitely. Glad I straight tell. away. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your childhood like? Oh, okay. Um, well, my mum actually did experience postnatal depression, which is completely different to um, postpartum psychosis. Mm -hmm. She got it with um, my youngest brother, Hector. So I'm the oldest of three. We grew up in Brixton, right by Brixton Prison. In fact, once my dad's scooter was stolen and all the prisoners from the prison was like, they went that way, mate. <laughs> so um, it's, been a, it's been a really, really fortunate neighbourhood. But um, I loved growing up there. Um, I feel like my experience of growing up was, I was so fortunate because I had, my parents were punks, but then my school, we were into, had loads of great influence from the bongo players and rap music and poetry and so I felt really um fortunate and um kind of yeah it was eccentric and wild and my parents would just make friends of absolutely everybody we would have people staying in our cramped little flat it was great yeah and then my mum got postnatal depression which is really interesting because I'm in the book um I did think a lot about this um because there was a big time of my childhood, which I don't really remember my mum being there. Right. And she was working a lot. She she was the one that earned the money in our family. And um, I remember saying to her once when, we were, when I was a bit older, being, I don't really remember you, mum, as a child. And that really hurt her. And I was like, well, why does that hurt her? I don't understand. And now, obviously, as an adult, as a mum. Well, I, see, I, because the book that I'm writing, it's all letters on motherhood. And oh, it's really wow. interesting because obviously you start thinking about your own mum a lot. And, you know... And I found it really surprising how even my mum now cried reading some of the letters because when she was crying, she said, have I done a good job? <sighs> Am I a good enough mum? Which broke me because it made me realise that actually throughout this whole journey, we're all going to be having that thought. It never leaves us. Mm. So that guilt that we feel now, it's here for the ride. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't yeah. it? And, and it's funny because I was like um, thinking, I've survived this a maternal illness my son's gonna look at me and be like you're a wonder woman like you're a champion and I'm like oh actually I have written a whole book about how much she tried to kill me and <laughs> nearly ruined my entire life and maybe he's gonna have to carry that and one day he's gonna be maybe a 20 year old man and go you've just tried to you know you've written about me and ex exploited this whole thing and that's, I don't that's think the so. thing too I think maybe he's gonna be so proud <laughs> I think the knock-on effect, the ripple of this book going out there is going to be huge. Mm, thank you. So did you ever think about having a family yourself and what that might look like and being a mum? Definitely. And I, um, you always kind of think you're not going to be like your own parents. So like my parents, <laughs> I spent... We they love the pub, right? And I now love the pub. And I'd be like, <laughs> I'm not going to be one of those parents that like, because we would like fall asleep on pub tables and they just sling their leather jackets over us and we'd sleep there. I'd be like, I'm not going to do that as Jet. Meanwhile, why am I walking down with my baby stealing the bloody balloons off the people's front doors and tying my just you turn into your own pair and yeah. you think you're not going to when you do. Um, and but you know what I feel like okay I wasn't a huge academic when I grew up but that hasn't stopped me doing something that maybe people would think was a job that was um academic and because I love to tell stories and they encouraged me and let me be exactly what I needed to be and yeah. I feel like that's the true life education my spelling and grammar at school was atrocious and I thought I could never we've be a writer we've got editors now we've got editors thank you <laughs> um we got uh, we've got editors <laughs> exactly <works>. exactly <laughs> and the whole reason why I started telling stories in the first place was because I didn't want anyone to go, you've spelt that wrong or that looks mm. badly. And um, that, that looks badly, fine, I'll just say that. And then, um, so that, that encouragement, self-esteem, that's the most important thing that yeah. you can learn, I think, from parents. Um, and that's what I'm trying to just pass on because look, I ain't good at math, so that's gone. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you and Hugo, your, your partner, you met really young. Yes. At 14? Yeah, 14. So um, we... Oh God, it was a really, I mean, I thought he was tiny. I thought he was about seven years old. I was like, he's not 14. No, he's about seven. Um, and remember just sort of seeing him his little socks. He was so small and petite and cute. And then um, he kind of hinted that he 
thought I was pretty, but I was very a late bloomer in my prettiness and didn't ever feel like that. I was quite happy to be kind of, I was friend zoned all the time, but I would friend zone myself. I wanted to yeah. be everyone's mate. I was scared of boobs and things like that. And um, so I was like, no, 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 no. Anyway, yeah, 10, 15 years later, however long it's been, we, um, yeah, finally sorted it out and got together. And um, which is kind of also why it was so sad with everything that happened and the way it did, because it felt like, oh my God, I've got, I finally with my dream person, because we became best friends and we'd gone through some of our biggest life things together. Um, my mum remarrying and um, him losing his mum and his career in the Maccabees and mm -hmm. all of that happening. And um, then we got together and it was this kind of whirlwind of romance. And then it it's felt so, like- It's so gorgeous the way you write about that time as well, where oh. you're literally like wrapping up in blankets and eating all through the night. Yeah. It's so romantic. It became so like nocturnal and yeah, yeah fun. And we had, we were um, using an ironing board as a dining table because <laughs> um, we both, kind of escaped our long-term uh, setups and we had both bought houses and suddenly we didn't, you know, you can't buy a house and then have loads of money in your bank account. Mm. We were like, we had an ironing board as our table, two garden chairs for our chairs, borrowed couch, borrowed bed, um, and we just had the best time ever. And then it really felt like when I got ill, um, that I'd kind of ruined it for everybody. Like, oh, I was like, or, or maybe felt like a also, you don't get away with that. You know, you don't get joy like that without mm. suffering at the other end. Like all these kind of negative voices that attack you when you're on your own, those gremlins that have those kind of quiet word of you. And that was a lot of that, that all came into play. And I was also writing a teenage book because I do write for young people mostly. Um, which also again added into the like Chucky, like made me feel more mad. I was writing a book about our romance and about young romance and that sort of fed into it as well, into the psychosis, right. which we can talk about, but um, as well. So I'm not writing that anymore because I was just like, this is just too, really? too much, too close. So um, yeah, it's interesting. It was a good thing and a bad thing, but what was amazing because we got pregnant so quickly, I think if that and you happened- you hadn't actually been together together that long. No, we, no, we've been together for about six months and, but we've known each other for so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so many years that I think if we hadn't have known each other for all that time, if any, if you get a girl pregnant and then she does what I did, you would be like, who the hell is this girl? <laughs> um, if she's suggesting that we do a mass suicide, and um, I should probably say there are trigger warnings probably in this, um, you would be like really seriously freaked out. But he knew me and he was like, this is not Laura, she's ill. And thank goodness for that. What was it like the moment that you found out you were pregnant? Amazing. So, you know, actually I was doing a month vegan and I was like, <laughs> veganism, veganism is really taking its toll. <laughs> so I'm so tired. I'm so cryy, really missing that cheese. Um, so it was, and also I had a spot on my head that looked like I'd been shot, like right there in the center. Uh, a crater and I was like this doesn't what is going on and you have to um, I remember I had to do like three because I couldn't wee on the stick and then in the end I had to use those little things you know that come on the standy uppy toothpaste you couldn't wee on the stick couldn't wee on the stick well <laughs> couldn't angle couldn't, couldn't, couldn't angle couldn't get that nice little uh, side slant you know when you get plastic Colgate's the standy up ones you get the little plastic shot glass that comes yeah. on top did it in there didn't I, I all over my hand you can't pee on a stick but you can pee into that tiny little yes it cup. gave me space did a little shot glass of the old wee the old urine stuck it in there didn't I my sister's on the phone on speaker she was like what are you doing and I was like sorry the phone's everything's covered in wee so talks about that but that part of it your it's hand really is drenched in wee you're covered in piss you're covered in piss everything's covered in piss <laughs> <laughs> so, and they're expensive pregnancy tests, yeah, which I don't also think is yeah. okay. And because you think I better go for a clear blue, blue pregnant, because I need pregnant. it to be. I don't like the line. I don't like the lines. I need it what to tell lines, me, yeah. and I you want to go with a trusted brand. Yeah. So you you think because I need to know this is a massive life changing thing, and it just basically is a metaphor for how expensive the whole thing is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> you can't much. afford the pregnancy test. <laughs> <laughs> It's an expensive lifestyle. So your sister was on speakerphone. Yes. Where was Hugo? Hugo was out actually and he was in rehearsal because the Maccabees were doing a final big show at Alexander Palace and they were all rehearsing. And um, I uh, called him and he, he, I was like, can you come home? And he was like, no, like, no, I can't. Uh, doing his kind of band thing. And I was like, okay. So I was like, he was like, is everything okay? And I was like, um, basically I'm pregnant. So that's what's happened. He told you on the phone. Yeah. And he was like, he was like, this is him. 
okay then that's very interesting okay I'll speak to you soon because he didn't want to say anything to the room and I was like okay that was the most awkward conversation two seconds later he was like driving back and he was like I just said that I didn't feel well he was like oh my god I'm coming back now so then it all kind of yeah it was really sweet and then I I did see him do over his shoulder googling for like a million years when it says positive is it actually 100% (laughs) positive does that mean it's positive 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 I was like Uh, but he was just incredible my pregnancy was a total joy I felt like I mean I don't know how I think maybe everybody just feel like this to a certain extent but especially when you're in the arts you do a little bit feel like a fraud all the time like you're Mm. waiting to get found out I especially do I do yeah and when I'm on the tube and I'm seeing all these people dressed in their suits their briefcase newspapers and coffee I'm like oh god you're a fraud just put it all down and just be let's all just know like this is really difficult and um that being pregnant was like the first time I felt legitimate about something and like it was a fact and Mm -hmm. no one could take it away from me and I just did it felt instinctive and I was like I'm not gonna let because don't they love to tell you what to do everybody so I'm not gonna listen to this I'm just gonna do it how I want to do it and um like I was always been really scared of the night like not very Mm. good at being on my own and I really enjoyed like getting up at 2am because the you know the back pain start you can't sleep as comfortable these things but I really enjoyed that time watching a film and being with the baby and um feeling like this is going to be really exciting I felt not in a delusional um kind of euphoric way but I did feel like very safe and immune like people couldn't fall out of you and you can't get a cold and you can't get robbed or attacked because if someone breaks into your house you're like I'm pregnant they're like oh sorry sorry of course (laughs) so I felt really safe and um I remember once going on the tube and someone was struggling down the escalators with a baby in a buggy and I was beaming with my baby on board badge which you're so oh you can't wait to get that can you and this woman said to me they're better in than out and I was like Right, sour, like sour And I'm like, okay, now I'm that woman. <laughs> Although I do think that with the badge and when you're pregnant, and everyone they can't do enough for you when the baby's actually there. It does feel a bit like, oh god, that baby. You know, Absolutely, oh god, here they come completely. So and weird, I isn't feel, it? yeah, especially when you're. This is one of the other things. Why on the buggy don't they put a nice soft squidgy bit for you to help carry the buggy down? You're not mm, cutting your fingers off on yeah, stairs, yeah, yeah. and of course it's for help. They, you're not meant to be clanging down. That's true. Stairs. Don't encourage it. But oh my god, it's painful. Yeah. I've got a few oh. design ideas as well. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel going into labour? Like, did you kind of, did you worry about what was coming? Were you quite relaxed? So I was two weeks overdue and I was very small, showing really small. And people kept telling me, everybody, and I have, um, I'm really close with lots of my neighbours. I've got lots of amazing women that li- live near me, old women. And all of them kept being like, not minding, going, you're very small. You're showing very small. And I was like, oh, oh. My mum reassured, you know, everyone was going, don't worry, it's fine. But I do remember a lot of people saying, Has you, your nose hasn't bloated, your nose hasn't bloated. And you thought, what do you mean? You're not, this is the thing. It's like people, <laughs> you people sprouting feathers, turning into a chicken. Yeah, that means you're ready to give birth, all these kind of things. And uh, two weeks overdue, my waters hadn't broken. Your nose um, looked the same. My yeah. nose was exactly the same. And you kind of awaiting. You felt feel cheated from the beginning because you watched um, Look Who's Talking and all these films <laughs> and you want that big splatter of the yeah. theatre of the waters breaking and it never comes. And um, I remember on the day I actually had him, or the day before I had him, I went to hospital, um, I went for a run, like... And I remember just being like, I feel like I could go night clubbing. Like, I feel... Oh, you were a runner? Did you energized. run? Um, now we can talk about my true love exercise okay. in a bit but at this point I was I mean I'm ish running but I the fact that I wanted to do that where most women um that I know would be like god you can't move it's really painful you know like a teapot mm-hmm. and I was not like that and right. so that was my first kind of thought it was Valentine's Day and I remember I was bouncing on this those one of these yoga balls thinking that any sort of hunger grumble was a pregnancy yeah. you know because it's contraction or something watching the office and um then we were calling kept calling can we come into the hospital and they wanted to give me a pessary which is like a hormonal tampon Mm -hmm. and I honestly thought they'd be giving that to me and then I'd be coming back out but then they didn't let me go they were like you're two weeks overdue we need to get this baby out the waters could have broken and then you can get infection and all the rest of it so I was like okay well yeah we don't want that to happen kind of thing but I remember looking in the corridor thinking everyone else looks really pregnant and I don't and everyone wants their baby on Valentine's Day for some weird mm. reason. And I'm just like, yeah, but are we too, come on, it's not a hotel in Paris. Like this is um, <laughs> life and death. 
I remember just feeling really scared. Like, I want to get out of here. I don't want to be in here because I don't feel... It felt like someone was going, okay, we're going to take out a lung now. Like, everyone kept going, at 40 weeks, you'll be desperate to get this thing out of you. I didn't feel like that. Mm. So it was all very scary. And I, and I was at the hospital where I had my first ever panic attack. And you've never, ever had a panic attack or experienced no. anything? No. And it was just, like, extreme... Uh, speaking now to friends, and I'm now the most annoying person in the world. I talk about mental health non-stop. Mm -hmm. I am the postpartum psychosis. Mother noose, I call myself instead of mother goose. <laughs> um, but but now when people tell me the physical symptoms of panic attacks, um, actually mine was very mild. And um, so I feel fortunate but still for that. But if you're going through something <laughs> massive, it's your first ever experience of it. It's really difficult to then compare what other people have. Like sure. it's all relative to you. Absolutely. And you're completely right. But um, so I, I guess from what I'd heard of panic attacks of mm. this kind of the pressing on your chest and the fire and all these things, I did have inklings of that, but not, you know, I could still function, which I was good. Um, but it was really scary. And I just remember seeing this clear basin where they, the baby was meant to go. And I was like, how am I meant to fill that thing with the baby? Because then, well, honestly, I don't, if someone told me now, it's you're on punked, it's all a joke. You know, I actually got older, gone, yeah, probably, okay. And then that bloody tamp that tampon thing just fell out of me like a dead mouse. I thought this hasn't done anything at all. Just plopped on the floor. Nothing was happening. And then suddenly it was shark attack. It felt just like it's emergency. Um, he, we think he's small. Every time you're contracting, which was still in the early stages, mm -hmm. he was going underneath his his um, blood pressure and heartbeat wasn't keeping up with mine. So they were like kind of describing it like that he was going underwater and it was taking him longer to kind of come back out. And then someone along the line mentioned and said, I think you've got a small baby. Has anyone mentioned preeclampsia to you? Which nobody had mentioned that. Or it should have been a high-risk pregnancy. And um, and then they kept saying, a small baby, a small baby. And I was like, what do you mean by a small baby? Kind of imagine this like Tom Thumb little. Yeah. And I went on this massive rant about how even if whatever the problem was, I you know, I'm still so happy. I just want to get you him out You literally are in that moment, because you are glossing over it, but you literally did think... Like a little person, like yeah. Tom Thumb. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I, I, my brain went to this. No one was explaining what small baby meant. So I just kind of was going with what everyone, so I was kind of running through Taking these what if scenarios. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also in the world of science, you kind of think people don't really, they're not exaggerators like us, lot, are they? They're talking very factual. So I was like, right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get ready for my Channel 4 dispatches. Um, this is going to be um, my moment. But then, then they're kind of rushing you along to the, they, they move you to like a bit, it's still in the ward, but it's like closer to where the doctors are. So yeah. um, they can keep a closer eye on you. And then they basically explained to me, which already as if you don't have enough mother, mother's guilt to look forward to, that he had been starving in my womb. So he had once been a big fat chubby prized pumpkin but the longer I'd gone over my placenta had failed so he wasn't getting the nutrients that he needed and he'd actually shrunk so when he came out he was tiny but he had extra sort of skin yeah. where you could see he'd once been fat and then lost the weight right um he came out he wasn't too bad he came out just under five pounds but he was hungry that so and that dilly. was the beginning yeah. yeah you ended up having an emergency c-section emergency cesarean and um epidural as well bloody lovely nice bubble bath for the old organs but you know I sort of remember levitating like not in a delusional way but I remember handing myself over I was such a passenger in my labor which is the thing that I'm most annoyed about I wasn't I was so going to everybody are you okay sorry that I'm so difficult I'm sorry have you had time to eat like those kind right. of things sorry that this is so which I'm annoyed at myself about I don't I can't regret it but I'm um, I sort of feel like an 80s movie in like Ghost or something. I sort of remember going, this is just too much. Things just kept going wrong over and over. I just couldn't handle it. I've been really fortunate that I've never had to go to hospital properly before. Mm -hmm. And um, I just kind of went. I just remember going, this is too much. I'm going to shut myself down. And probably, um, I mean, now working with Action on Postpartum Psychosis, who's the amazing organisation that um, helps survivors. We do call ourselves survivors. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of women have, felt that the symptoms come on during labour. And I wonder if it is in that kind of handing over where it's just too traumatic. But people do that in trauma, don't they? Some people freeze, some people yeah. can't, you can escape your body. Um, and maybe that saved me as well. Hold up. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I remember one part of the book where you're in labor, where that's you're in the hospital, and there was a you say that you want your mum, mm. and there's a part a few pages later where she arrives. Oh god, yeah. I literally wept so much. Just that safety almost. <clears throat> you kind of like revert back to needing someone. Yeah. It's funny because in um the long, long version, which <laughs> you, I mean you still read a really good version, so thank you so much. But um I actually say when I write that, that like, I just can't, I stop writing because I'm just crying. Mm. Um, yeah, so what happened was I just, my family were all waiting for me, um, for the baby. Mm -hmm. They knew I'd gone in and I hadn't texted back. And um, I just remember grabbing my phone at one point. This is when I was in um, Epidural. They tried to let me sleep. They turned the lights down and it was just me and this one midwife. I'd sent Hugo out. Hugo's terrified of hospitals. Also, he's a vape addict. He was just there chugging away outside. Mm -hmm. I was you kind of get this instinct where you want to be like a cat and just like give birth in an airing cupboard on your own mm -hmm. without anyone around and scream and sweat and piss and poo like a rhino <laughs> without anyone watching you because yeah. it's so, you've got self-conscious like... We're so, in London and England, we're so, you know, we don't even like getting our bodies out on the beach. So then suddenly you've gone from that to like, rah, and well, There's something so vulnerable about giving so birth. so vulnerable about, and you're scary. You're so exposed, yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so the lights were really low and it was just me and this um, one midwife. And I'd had a million midwives by this point. So I remember just being desperate to try and build a connection with one of them to try and be my wing woman, be my cheerleader. Mm. And... Um, yeah, and I just text my mum just saying, um, am I going to be okay, mum? And then there was a knock at the door moments later and then it, it was my mum. She was actually Pokemoning for a lot of it. <laughs> oh, was it during that phase where everyone had the app? During that phase. She's still in that phase. She is a full-blown... I'm like, where are you, mum? I'm in Margate trying to catch a Snorlax, whatever the hell she's doing. Um, so at this point, yeah, she just comes and... Yeah, she did have all these uh, bags of, like, sweaty hummus and mackerel pate all the things you do not want when you're in the hospital yeah. but yeah she smelled of home like of um yeah i remember the fire of the dogs of um and you know because i had just handed myself over in this way i think it was um i also really wanted her to leave because i didn't want her seeing me being like that no one wants their mum to see and maybe that is part of being a mum is also um, looking to your own mum like you're really strong and you can do this and that's one of the really tough bits about it um, but also wanting her to leave because I'd already felt like I was such a nuisance to the staff mm. by no fault of my own I mean I'm the biggest goody goody I did everything I was told to do right. and in my recovery which is why I do think I've got better but um I just felt like I'm sorry that my mum's here and my mum's such a character and she's bought all this food and she's playing Pokemon and I'm so sorry but like at the same time I... <clears throat> I didn't really feel like I knew her anymore, actually. Because I felt so different, mm. I think. I'm crying. <laughs> I felt like um, 
I'd changed actually at that moment. Literally in, in yeah, yeah. And I didn't know when I was going to come back. In what way do you feel like you changed? Oh, I was just like scary. I think um, that's what's so horrible about getting ill in the way that I have is that you feel scary, and I think um, everyone has in their mind a version of what a mental ill person, mentally ill person, looks like. A vulnerable person looks like someone who's got the word psychosis attached to them, or you have these blurred kind of jagged images of you know women having electric shock therapies mm. always women actually yeah. for me um people contorting or crucifixes or all these crazy paraphernalia which is a tabloid extreme version and then it happens to you mm. and you're like oh my god that person that that image that i had which is very american horror story and cinema uh you're no different from that you're just a person and you're really, really vulnerable and we all are and the spectrum is so vast and we're all on it. And I think I had in my um, mind, you know, before I would have maybe have been one of those people that thought, um, okay, so you're watching a nature program and you might see an animal reject their young and you're shouting at the TV and you're like, feed your baby, what the hell? You see, it's really sad. The hippo isn't bonding with their baby or whatever. And then it happens to you and you're, that animal and you think oh my god and it's not because you're a cruel mean lady macbeth person it's you're just so scared nobody is more scared of you than you mm. it's interesting you used the word scary when you first said it you found yourself scary oh my god yeah because inside me sometimes i still check for it it's so weird if i have like a bad moment like um a weird moment i will look in the mirror and I'm looking for it, like just looking for one glimmer of it, which like, is- Like it's a physical thing. Like it's a physical thing. Cause I could hit, I mean, we, I don't know. I mean, we try, how can we have an order of these things? Yeah, I yeah. mean, well, how do you talk about things? But, um, cause I did hear voices, which again is a thing. It's like, I'm not hearing voices, but then you sit there and you think, what is that? Does that count as hearing a voice in the same way that does wishing that someone would kill you count as a suicidal thought? Wishing you get hit by a train. You're not planning to kill yourself, but you are still thinking that you wish your life was over. Is that a suicidal thought? And hearing a voice, it's like hearing something come and shoot into your head that is not something, it's not an intrusive thought. You're not going, oh, imagine if I threw mm. myself in front of the train tracks. It's something more than that, like but it isn't the voice of Stephen Fry yeah. <laughs> or David Attenborough. Yeah. Does that count then as hearing a voice? All these things. When you then look in yourself and you think, wow, okay, there's something else in there that isn't me. But it is you. It's mm. like you're the killer and also you're the victim of you. Yeah. The whole thing is mad. It literally is mad. What was it like when you first held Jet? He came out in the cesarean and he they threw it like thrust him up to the in the air in that kind of Simba way. But <laughs> he was like horrible. He was like long and so skinny and gobliny and uh angry at me, like really angry. They'd scratched his head in the mm -hmm. um, breaking of the waters, so his head was covered in blood. And he was really stressed in labour. So there was meconium, which is when they poo inside you. The cord had been wrapped around his neck twice. He was facing the wrong way. Obviously, you'd been starving for two weeks. All you want as a woman is to have this womb that is something you don't have to think about, but is that cosy and squishy and safe, mm. this sanctuary for growing. And I felt like it was this horrible dungeon. And it, I just felt like this kid is livid at me and I've got a lot of making up to do to prove to him that I can make this better. Um, and yeah, they kind of thrust him in the sky. And I just remember Hugo's face was just there and we just both looked up and we were just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> what are we gonna do? And then they said it was fine that he actually is really good. He, you know, they do that little point thing yeah. at the end. They like, he scored really high on his points. He's just got to be fed up. And, and then I don't know what point you think, oh, now I can just have a can of Sprite and chill. Cause no, <laughs> it's like this baby is thrust onto you. And they did not underestimate when they said how hungry he actually was. So he fed for 24 hours 
one day because I had to stay in this ward if you've stayed in a ward anybody listening you'll know I know that the NHS are doing their very 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 best um and we're stretched but it's a really difficult place to um to live but like practically but also you're going through the most intimate vulnerable part of your life you're trying to fall in love with a million people watching you Mm. the temperature is extraordinarily high a lot of babies in there are premature have low blood sugar so everyone you know of course it's lovely that we are kept warm but it's hot then you're sharing beds with uh, a bedroom sorry a ward with lots of other women who and they don't want you to put the curtains around you I'm not sure why that is actually but you're not allowed your curtains around you in the day so and even if you are every so often that women are just the midwives are thrashing the curtains open injecting you or fixing your catheter which I didn't even know I even had one second I was like I haven't weed for oh okay we's just there there's my weed we's just in a parcel <laughs> um and then there's lots of men around of course because they're having babies too and you're, you don't want your boobs out you're trying breastfeeding is not easy mm-hmm. and you're trying to do that I've had a cesarean everything is everywhere you can't get crumbs under you and blankets and you can't I remember it just gave up at one oh also a rare symptom of the uh epidural a side effect is that you can get itchiness of course I got that as well (laughs) but I couldn't itch my holding my tiny baby he will not get off my boob um so I'm scratching with my feet I've got these ugly stockings on my legs like the leg of a goth you know I'm like everything's happening I'm scratching my feet it's like raw blood everywhere basically um, and he just won't get off me. And it's like, and you just want to sleep because mm-hmm. you haven't, and you've gone through all this trauma that I just described to you. And you're not sleeping anyway before you have a baby, especially when you're overdue and you're the anxiety, but yeah. also you can't find comfort. So you just run ragged. And then, um, and then all it's like a horrible carousel of hell, basically, where the babies are taking turns to scream each other's heads off and the mums are then crying. <laughs> so everyone's just crying, but taking different turns. So there's just no peace in there. We were there for a week. And yeah, at one point I caught my um, feeding notes and I'd uh, fed for 18 hours straight with a 10 minute break and then another eight hours. And I just remember thinking, looking back, I was just like, that's actually insane. And they everyone contradicts themselves because all the midwives are on shifts. So they'll come in and they'll say, um, what are you doing swaddling him? He's not meant to be swaddled. Put him on his front, put him on his side, put him on his back. Try the rugby ball position. Have you not done then It's amazing because you are getting a crash course in motherhood and these women have come from all around the well, world. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? So everyone, no matter if they're a mum or a midwife, whoever, everyone has different ways of doing it and different methods. Completely. And they all feel like because it's worked for them, it's going to work for you. So they'll all pay it forward. But in yes. that paying it forward, it becomes really overwhelming. Exactly. And in some way, it's amazing because you think, oh my God, like these women... This is nothing to them. This is just another day at the office, which is really nice. The same way you see a turbulent, you know, um, air stewardess in yeah. turbulence and you think they look chill. I'm going to be chill. Seeing them kind of not be stressed. You're like, okay, fine. When you're talking to a mama that's had like five kids or whatever, fine. But it is also, as you say, anxiety inducing and mm. some, you know, will tell you off of various things. So you can't sleep with them on you. They don't, you can only put them down in this basin. They don't want to be in this basin. And also... I don't blame Jet, my son, like looking back, if you'd been in that condition, you'd want to be with your mum and feel safe and warm and giving milk. But also it's um, demand and supply, right? Mm -hmm. So they are drinking, drinking, drinking to try and make the milk come. He's starving. When you've had a cesarean, it takes longer for the milk to actually come. So he's working really hard at getting this milk. So it was just, it was a lot. It was a lot. And he's so small, you know. Oh, yeah, to have this red hat as well. Like red hat babies, they're called, which is when they're babies that have to have special care. We weren't in intensive care, but just one little bit above. Um, It was all about his blood sugars, basically, keeping his blood sugars up. Otherwise, it's just everything as well. If this doesn't work, brain damage. If that doesn't work, paralyzed. Like, constant everything's big threat. How did it feel, though, when you were told you were going home? I was like, this is it now. We're going to be... It's going to all be fine. We're gonna, it's going to be the Walt Disney Castle. I'll be fine. Jet will be fine. Everything will be fine. He screamed the whole way back. I knew we'd been there for a long time because even the parking <laughs> person was just like, do you know what? Just don't pay. Just pay, just pay half because this has been extreme. We went home. He screams the whole way. And, and your mind is going, must be the temperature. It must be the sun. Like maybe the sun's in his eyes. It's all new. Got home, all got into the bed. I thought, finally, now we can just be warm. I had this plan. And that is the picture, isn't it, that you see <sighs> that you're going to have when you get home. All of you together in bed, snuggled up. Isn't it lovely? That's what they say as well. They go, just get naked and roll around. And it's like, yeah, don't you think that's what I want to do? Like, not be in this app. We lie in bed, basically. 
And I just remember, you know that feeling before school when you're little on a Sunday night, London's burning on whatever, yeah. heartbeat. <laughs> and you're just like, I feel doom and dread and like just sick about the next day. It's just that times a million. Like something's not right. Why is Hugo just straight away, bam, snoring away? I'm like, how can you sleep? Like what's just happened to us? I'm, I've slept in um, clubs before. I've fallen asleep at Glastonbury standing up. Like I have no trouble sleeping. Suddenly I'm just like, something really bad is going to happen and I can't put my finger on it, but I just don't feel normal. So I said to Hugo, something's wrong. He's like, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. We're all fine. Everything's fine. I'm like, it's not. And then it just escalated really quickly. Really? Yeah. Within like days. Yeah. It was just, um, well, that feeling never left. It followed me around for a long time. And then... Um, Everybody was called Laura suddenly. Like, so Hugo would be watching Darren Brown or something and be like, using the contestant, Laura. And I'd be like, you know, sometimes you hear your name in the theatre and you think nothing of it. Yeah, you yeah. might stick with it and then you go, oh. But then it was like, everybody was called Laura. Um, I would suddenly start looking for meanings in songs. And, but I just want to say, I've never experienced like uh, poor mental illness before. Yeah. So this is just... Okay, and I know already there's a strong... I don't enjoy drug... I, I love a glass of wine, but I'm not a drug taker, so I don't like being out of my body. Yeah. So very quickly I had a rational thought going, this is alarm bells and I'm not enjoying this one bit. Um, who would? But really wasn't. Um, when your midwife came over... Yeah. That was quite an experience that first. So you, you are feeling all of this, mm -hmm. that something's not right. Uh -huh. But what did you do before the midwife came over? <laughs> yeah, well, I cleaned the house spotless and then I put on a full face of makeup <laughs> and this like really peachy orange fluffy jumper that made me think I looked like the mother from he heaven. <laughs> and then um, I basically was like, maybe I should bake brownies. Maybe I should like really intense. I'd started writing everything down in a notebook and making Hugo write it down when because of Jet's... Um, low weight he had to be fed every three hours so people say never wake a sleeping baby mm. everyone does it their own way and yeah. lovely but I had to stick to this alarm system so throughout the night the plan was I feed left breast whatever right breast breast uh then go to sleep and then set the alarm for another three hours he had to be on on um but you you have to set the alarm at the beginning of the first yeah. feed so it's a complete trap because yeah. sometimes it takes two hours to do the feed yeah but I'm writing it all down, the poos and the wicks. That's the only way you know the food's getting into them, right? So I'm writing all of this down. It's like the scrawlings of an insane train spotter, like um, a stalker, basically. And uh, I kind of show it really proudly to my midwife, like, <laughs> look at what I've made. <laughs> and she was not impressed. She was like, okay, it's nice to have an idea, but, you know, don't go overboard. And that I, that I remember being livid. Like, I've gone to all this effort. And I remember just, I had classical music on. It was horrible. Mm. And as soon as I <laughs> shut the door, as soon as I shut the door, I just remember my face just, like, turning off. Right. Being like, well, you know, like, okay, going back to, oh, horrible. Yeah, just, like, wipe all that makeup off. Because like, all my other friends are like, what, if the midwife comes over, you don't know when they're going to, because they never tell you when they're yeah. coming, do they? Yeah. So it's like, you know, you've, washing everywhere and food and takeaway it's like people were sending me cards and flowers and I was just didn't want anything you, got, you go house. to get rid of everything everything I just said throw all of this out this is not a celebration to me which was really sad because I have the most lovely friends and people and people from my public people that I didn't even hadn't seen for years had sent such beautiful things and I just one day said to you I just want everything gone because he and he said it's a celebration I was like it's not to me this is why didn't you feel it was a celebration because I was gone. I was, uh, I was just like, I'm a, um, I'm dead now inside. And I was so set on killing myself that I didn't think I was going to be around anyway. So I was just like, I don't, I was, people would probably describe me as like, before that as a really happy person and naturally happy, almost fake that I was that happy. And now I was just the opposite of that. Just when people say a shell, I never understood that, but that is how I felt, just a shell. And just, and then the suicidal thought went from something that had to happen to like, no, it had to happen. It was then becomes like a craving. Can you remember the first time you had that thought? 
Um, well, it was to do with when I first heard the voice because that I was changing Jet Snappy and this is only, he was only a couple of weeks old and uh, I was with Hugo and I just heard this voice go to me. Something really fucking bad is about to happen. Something really fucking bad. And I remember just being like, oh, it was horrible. It was my own voice. It was really weird, but not my own voice. Right. And I just said to Hugo, uh, can you just take over changing jet? I just walked down the hallway and it just kind of came with me. Like, what do you think you're going to do? Like, do you think you're going to try and get... It kind of holds you like how um, an abuser would, you know, and makes you feel like if you tell anybody about it, it's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. So I remember going straight to the bathroom and looking in the mirror for telling you, like, you know, I was saying earlier, kind of looking for it and it just looked back at me and it was kind of like a hee 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 sort of thing. Like a hi. And I just remember being like, Oh my God. And actually, I think it was a rational part of my brain that wanted to kill myself at first because it was like, I I have seen films and read books. I know where this goes and it's not a good place. And I don't know what it's going to make me do, where it's going to take me. And I'm so scared. I just would rather get this out of the way. A bit like, I'm like that in hide and seek when I was little. I'd be like, just catch me really quickly. I don't like waiting to be caught. Please just catch me. That's what it was like. I was like, I just want to just make this over because there's no coming back from it. I'm so mad. There's no coming back from it. And you it. felt that Jet would be better off. Oh my God. Yeah, I was like, I'm... You start to think like, and it's catastrophizing. That's all it is. But you start to think that you're going to go down this really horrible route and you're going to become something really terrifying and dangerous or like a kind of zombie eating apple crumble in a hospital somewhere. And that's going to be your child's life. And um, it's horrible. Yeah. How was Hugo in that time? Did you voice any of this to him? Um... Well, it all seems so insane. Someone brought us a, a sick... By the way, I use these words like mad and insane and all these things um, because that's the only way I can think of to describe it. And in school, they don't teach you the vocabulary, the language to describe these words. So I'm really sorry for some people find those offensive, but for me, I don't. That's how I can translate to you how I feel. What was I saying? You were about uh, to say about the bear. Yeah, about the bear. Oh, my God, you knew it. <laughs> Someone brought us a six-foot bear... Someone who obviously must not have a child, because why would you buy anybody that anyway? <laughs> ugly thing. <laughs> and he's Thanks. Just, Thanks, mate. <laughs> ugly thing. He's one of my mum's friends. This giant bear shows up and Hugo's like, whoa, I don't really like this bear. Mm. He's massive. But I was so trying to prove to the rest of the world that I was fine. I was like, I love it. So this bear sits there and we take pictures of a jet and everything. And the bear's just, in my mind, just staring at me in those really horrible, shiny, plasticky eyes mm. hey um filming me got cctv in there or is um alive in some way and i just had to do everything i couldn't just not to rip it apart so things like that i was like i can't tell hugo that because he's gonna then be really freaked out by me and scared of me i'd seen this play as well when i was pregnant called yerma which has a really dark ending if you know the play mm. i don't want to give it away because it's an amazing play um, and my friend actually is acting in it as well. Um, so anyway, the ending is really scary. And I felt like I was connected to the play and that I had to follow through with the play, which is so, it's like anxiety, but it's mm. like a kind of OCD thing as well, which is why once your head is cracked, all of these illnesses that you once seem so far away from you seem so close, you understand them, not you don't ever understand them, but you feel... Okay, I thought people were alcoholics because they just really enjoyed getting drunk. Yeah. And it's not that. It's a trap. Mm -hmm. So now I see that. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, Your family basically moved in as well. It became like Glastonbury at my house. And then I was on complete suicide watch. If I was in the toilet for a second, my sister would like high kick the door down. But I was bleeding at the same time. So I had to keep changing these pads. You know what that mm -hmm. bit's like. So you'd hear like a rustling of that and then... Um, or like, so I kept being given new drugs from the GP to help me sleep. That was also safe to take breastfeeding with breastfeeding. Breastfeeding was the only thing I could do. So one of the drugs I was given was a drug called quetiapine, which is a um, drug that is treated, treats schizophrenia I've taken in a high dose. But a really low dose is um, safe to take as whilst feeding and can use, be used as a sleeping aid. But the doctor for had said to Hugo, don't worry, Laura, but it is... Um, this is before they knew of postpartum psychosis and my diagnosis had come to, everyone was saying, is it baby blues or struggling to adjust? 
sleep will sort me out. And um, she said, this drug is actually used to treat schizophrenia. But that was it. My brain had kind of wrapped around it like a snake would a mouse and gone, that's it. I've got schizophrenia. I've had schizophrenia the whole time. But honestly, you could have told me I was a crisp at that time. And I would have gone, I'm a crisp. So because that's what the brain, it's like Velcro. Mm. It's the oddest thing. Because when I was in the hospital, I would hear uh, this psychiatric ward. I once overheard a woman say she thought she was dead. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're all dead. Like, uh, it's just the oddest thing. Well, let's, so six days oh, before you went into hospital, sure, sure. you took a photo of yourself and posted it online where you were yeah. out, mum life, kind of had oh a glass God. of wine. Yeah. And you posted it, your makeup was done. Yeah. And it was like everything was rosy. Yeah. I said, hello world, I'm a mum. It took me about an hour to even write those words because my brain was just a mess. But So Hugo and I had gone for this lunch. My dad was going to watch the baby. I remember my dad's partner saying, you've taken to this like a duck to water. And I just remember being like, and that voice is there going, don't tell them what's going on inside. Don't tell them, don't tell them. It's going to get worse if you tell anybody. I remember my dad saying, do you need anything? And I was like, yeah, paracetamol. It's like, yeah, I need like a gun or something. Like, need to get out of here. We go to this restaurant and I'm thinking, it's like uh, an alien has hijacked my body. So I'm in my head going, what would Laura order? What would Laura order? Mm. It, like, pretend to the world you're her, but she's gone now kind of thing. Posted that thing. Which is why I wanted to address it because I was like, I've done exactly what I'm so terrified. I've just creating more of the stigma and everyone going, way God, now she's a writer and she's a, you know, God, she's got a baby. She's got a um, boyfriend. It's like, and I think if we're want. all told all the time that motherhood is amazing and that's the only thing that we're ever told about it. I think that's the part that's tough. Because yes. actually when you do have a baby and actually it's really hard and difficult, you feel like you're the only one experiencing it. And a lot of what you wrote in the book, so many mums will experience. Mm -hmm. Obviously it goes to extremes and depths where other, like a lot haven't, but there's so much that is relatable. Um, sure. So yeah, I think it's important that we... Which is why it's so hard to be diagnosed, right? Yeah. Because everyone's going... I remember just getting anyone's number I could that had a baby. And... Um, being like, uh, I wish I had your number, you probably would have said fine. But um, but people would just be like, yeah, that's normal, it passes. Oh, don't worry about that. Yes, yeah, completely normal. It's like, do you, do you find you can't sleep even when the baby's sleeping? Do you find, do you feel nervous and scared all the time? Like everyone's watching you or like you don't love your own baby? Yeah, of course I do. La, la, and you la. felt that weeks after. Oh yeah. And yeah. everyone was just going, yeah, 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 that's normal, that's normal. So I was like, okay, just ride it out. What was it like when... Did your family sit you down and say that they were taking you to hospital? No, the only time I was properly sat down properly was to take my first antidepressant. I don't even like taking the paracetamol. And then it was this moment where it was like, my mum and dad together who are not together and rarely in the same room had come together and they were like, Laura, take the pill, take the pill. And I was like, and that's when I knew. But at this point I was so, my everything felt static and charged. Mm. Even an action like for putting my hair behind my ear felt like really staged and huge. And I just felt like I was Alice in Wonderland in this just massive and yeah. all my actions were really exaggerated. So that I was like, okay, I know I'm definitely gone there. But the day of my, um, well, it was kind of an, yeah, no, it was an intervention, but it wasn't with my fam my side of the family, it was with Hugo's family, which most people don't even want their partner's dad to see them in a towel. And I'm there, like, literally losing the plot in front of them. I'm By now, it's getting really, really heavy. Um, it's you have a man, man's the, voice by this book. point as well. Uh, I don't actually, I'm terrified of hearing a man's voice. Right. Someone has said to me, do you hear a man's voice? Ah. And then I'm going, oh, the man's voice is coming. Right. Yeah. I, luckily it didn't get to that, but I've become so terrified of hearing that. Um, at this point, um, yeah, it's all, ugh, it's all mixed up in Hugo's um, trauma with losing his mum. That kind of plays out into my psychosis. I start to believe that I'm obsessed person. I was obsessed with Hugo my whole life and I'd wanted to get to this and everybody knew it and I'd been revealed and I was a master of the dark arts. And um, I remember my sister got driven. It was one in the morning on a Saturday. Uh, it was Mother's Day. Um, so yeah, my, one in the morning on the Sunday. So Saturday night. Yeah, and then driven through central London. I didn't know where I was going. I remember 
thinking all these things. Was it prison? Was it rehab? I didn't know. And then I kind of got there and I was like, this is not a normal hospital. Then I was like, this is an experiment. Everyone's in on it. It's a complete conspiracy. Just deep paranoia, extreme paranoia. And then I remember the nurse coming out and my sister going, she looks like J-Lo. And then feeling like, okay, maybe it's going to be all right. Because <laughs> J-Lo's looking Because J-Lo's here. <laughs> what was it like when you realised that you're actually on a psychiatric ward? Well, they put me through to this room, which I didn't realise was my going to be my bedroom. And they sat me on a bed. They wanted to interview me right there and then in the night. And I was right. like, can't I just sleep? I just kept saying, please just give me... I hadn't slept by now, in all honesty for probably nearly a month, right? maybe an hour here or there. Um, and I was just like, just give me what the fattest thing you've got that's gonna just knock me out. And they were like, we can, but we need to talk to you. And I guess now looking back, they probably wanted to talk to that version of me. Right. So they probably knew these fears and yeah. what. Looking back over them, they're very innocent. One of my fears was Streatham. Um, <laughs> the place? The place, Streatham, <laughs> straight up Streatham. <laughs> Still scared of Streatham. <laughs> Um, Hugo was like, that's completely normal. So I thought, yeah, Streatham's, that's right. Streatham is scary. <laughs> Don't um, worry, that's, that's yeah. irrational. Yeah, um, <laughs> so I told them, I remember though, I was slurring my words. Like I couldn't speak. Like I was literally like to even get out what I wanted to say. I don't know if it was the tiredness or the power of my, how hard it, my brain was working. Um, and then they said, they asked me, had I planned anything? And I was like, planned anything? And then I was like, oh, you're talking about, suicide and so then your dad was in your in the room when not the, at this point right. the next day this was hugo and daisy in the room and they uh i asked them to leave basically because i the way i wanted to kill myself was really traumatic and horrible and um i, want, I was going to do it in the park which was like really because i didn't want to do it in the house there was these things i just wanted to just say without them hearing and they now hearing from them they were like we were just in this communal kitchen just hugging each other crying like mm. which was just a whole thing so they kept me up till about i think three in the morning it was like a really i mean amazing intensive chat they were they knew loads they asked me if i was prone to taking drinks and drinking drugs when i was stressed or overworked and no, 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 none of, no um, history of mental illness and all the rest of it. And then I was put to sleep and then just waking up that next morning was just like nothing else. That was just when I, imagine taking every drug and drink in the world and waking up with that beer fear times a million and mm. thinking that's why it's called it. It was just, what have I done? What have I done? I just remember waking up in this hospital. Uh, the first thing I see was the door ajar and a nurse's eye just watching me didn't know where I was, what was going on. And there were some scrambled eggs or something, I think. <sighs> yeah, and then I kind of just shuffled across in my, I just didn't even want the nurse to, you wouldn't have recognized my gait, my way, everything. Depression and anxiety um, completely changes your physicality. It's an all consuming illness. And then it was about just finding my bearings. And I was admitted to general psych. So it was uh, schizophrenia, um, bipolar disorder, alcoholism, um, eating disorders. So I was surrounded by people that didn't have the same illness as me and not necessarily the physical illnesses. So everything was so confusing, but so my, my milk was still coming. I was still bleeding. I had cesarean, like, so physically as well, I was um, struggling, but. What's it like now looking back? Cause obviously you've had to go there so much and so deep writing the book. What is it like? I've heard of this form of therapy. I'm not exactly sure what it's called, but where you talk about something, a trauma over and over and over again. And it actually, this is a really great thing about talking about it because you actually do get a bit bored of it eventually. It's like when you talk about fancying a boy and then you kind of look back and you're like, <laughs> God, I actually really fancied you. I don't know why, because you're just not that great. That's a little bit like what it's like with this. I've managed through talking about it and through sharing it because depression loves to think it has you cornered. And the own the only proper proper thing you can do to not fight depression because i think fight's the wrong word but to live alongside depression or anxiety and to not let it scare you is to be open about it and go i'm not going to let you corner me i'm going to like a bully like a school bully and just go i've let everyone know that you're trying to get me but it's not going to happen well, it was only 6 months after 
after Jet was born that you wrote a blog for Clemmie Telford. Yeah. Who you'd known anyway because you had babies brought due around the same time. Yeah, yeah. And so she obviously got in touch. I'd met her once, yeah, and then I just said I'm ready. To, I'd written this thing on my phone. <clears throat> I was like, I want to share it, but I get. I woke up the next... Oh, I didn't even sleep, I don't think. Within the next day, again, all those... Not the voice, but the anxiety of these gremlins and monsters were just all around me like what do you think you're gonna do go on bloody strictly come dancing for postpartum psychosis (laughs) (laughs) Um, all these sort of things and then I was like oh my god because then we got um, completely overwhelmed with tv requests media requests and then as a writer that's all you want is your words Mm. to connect and suddenly it was connected and it was in this kind of Faustian way where it was like I had to pay for my pay for that in my physical health for me and my son and Hugo. And I was just like ran away. And then I fell into a depression after that. And then again, but through CBT, which is my number one boyfriend (laughs) and talking um, and lifting weights. Um, I'm strong. Is that what your exercise is now? Oh my God, I'm obsessed with lifting weights. But yesterday I went to the gym and I was lifting weights and actually quite, because we, um, this all coming to a close now. So the book's just about to go off. You read like a Mm pre-proof, but the proof's coming out next week. And, it's more, I don't allow myself much time for self-pity because I do find that staggers me if I think too much about what happened to us. I feel really sad for us. Um, do you feel like that time was robbed from you? Uh, yeah, I do. And now my sister's had a baby and seeing her breastfeeding and having that time, and I'm not, there's 50% chance of me getting it again. So watching her, I feel so, it's, so beautiful and I'm such a proud auntie. I'm also like, thank God I've got postpartum psychosis to blame on the fact I'm never gonna do that again. Thank God for that. But also like, oh, that is really nice and amazing. And um, we've had to, I've had to see it as a three. We don't really do in our house, like mum, dad, baby, too much. I don't feel, I feel we're, we're complete three and Jet relies on Hugo for milk and his cuddles just as much as me. Yeah. And not many dads or mm-hmm. partners that don't yeah. do the birthing get, always get that. They sometimes have to take a back seat. Um, don't feel like it, yeah. But it, you know what was over so quickly, but I remember my mum saying like, you threw yourself at that recovery. And I actually did like, I anything I could do to get better. I did and more and I made that like my, if I, I could do anything if I worked as hard at anything I did as this, as we're getting better for this. But this, it was, it's a weird uh, um, paradox because Jet is what, not caused this illness, it's not Jet's fault, but but having Jet is what made this happen was the trigger. But also nothing makes you save your own life than watching a little baby be like, I need my mum. And you are just like, I'm going to live every single day for you is it scary having seen yourself like that and having seen what madness is yes having a peek Ooh. Mm. going well that was interesting trying to fill the door and the door's not opening and you're like okay I'm locked in here now I'm locked but you know I've learned so much because my fears now they've diminished like those big fears that I had before ghosts what the hell I was scared of ghosts so much like (laughs) two years ago the dark what if what if what if I'm now I'm like go on then ghost (laughs) because when you've done this I always wanted to be a strong woman when I was little so I want to be a spice girl all these things like and now Now you're better than a spice girl actually I'm a strong woman (laughs) something really massive has happened to me and I actually aced it you totally did. <laughs> One thing that, you know, worried you at first because you didn't feel that bond and you for for weeks. How is that bond now? Oh my god, we are so tight. We're just like Oh, I can't. Yeah, now he, he, I, I say it in the book, but it's true. You think you make your baby, but they make you. Mm. Like he made me and Actually, him giving me this illness has made me such a, a more effective person. I feel like I'm a better friend. Um, I feel more plugged into the world, um, more empathetic. Um, and taking taking life with a, a lightness, actually, and a heaviness at the same time, which yeah. is I'm deaf of the small talk. I'm willing to go there <laughs> with people because actually this is the big stuff. You pick up anybody's biography, famous not famous, you stand next and any bus stop, if, even in this room, this building, 
everyone is going through or has gone or will go through something that will change them forever and make them who they are. Mm. And that's a really enriching <clears throat> and reassuring thing. Take comfort in that, that you're not on your own. What was Jet's first word? Mama. <laughs> <laughs> now I wear my mum ring, so yeah, I'm legit now. <laughs> um, so my next book is all about letters, a letters on motherhood. If you could write a letter on motherhood, who would it be to and what would it say? To my own mum, definitely. She said to me, you, um, I will cry probably when I say this, I'm just going to compose myself. Sorry, guys. <clears throat> she said to me, when it came to your recovery, she was like, you were an athlete. It was like watching an athlete. My own mum, though, I feel like she taught me how to train. She taught me how to lift those weights. So a big thank you to her because I used to be like, all my mum does is work, work, work. And now I'm like, any woman, sometimes they, women do find after having babies, they want to throw themselves back into work. Maybe that's because that's what they're good at. Maybe that's because they want to do that. But maybe that's because sometimes they find that's the only place they can actually exist or be or survive or what they're good at. There's no shame in that and wanting to work. And I used to think that about my mum. And now I'm like, do you know, she she did all of that and, and she uh, survived for years undiagnosed. She wasn't medicated. She was given stuff for her blood pressure, but she survived extreme postnatal depression and all, all on her own. And she was adopted my mum, so she didn't have close family and friends nearby. Um, and she, was from not Lon she wasn't from London, so my mum's just been amazing. Amazing, yeah. I would like you to finish these three sentences. Okay. Being a mum means... Looking at yourself in the mirror means looking at yourself in the mirror. Yeah, yeah. Uh, since being a mum, I... I'm strong, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm happy when... I'm exercising or eating. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming Thank on. You. I literally could have spoken to you for another hour. You're very, very good at your job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>